0: Welcome to High Heels and Heartache, a podcast featuring interviews with experts on the topics you're curious about and stories of extraordinary people who are changing the world. I'm Kendalaya Combs, your host. And today on the show, I have Mary Lou Randor and Valerie Pena from the Safe Havens for Pets organization. Safe Havens for Pets is part of the Animal Welfare Institute. And Safe Havens for Pets looks to provide safety to both survivors of domestic violence and their pets. Um, It was a really amazing conversation. We talk all about why Safe Havens for Pets is necessary. Um, We talk about some really cool tools um, that they use to help survivors and their pets. So coming right up, Mary Lou Randor and Valerie Payne. Welcome back. I am here with Mary Lou Randor and Valerie Pena from the Animal Welfare Institute. Hi, ladies. How are you doing?
1: We're fine. How are you?
0: I am wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Before we start, I just want to get a little bit of sense of Um, What brought you to the Animal Welfare Institute um, and and what you do there? So, Mary Lou, how about if you go first?
1: Sure. Um, I think I can probably answer this part of the question for Valerie, which I probably shouldn't do. But it's because we both love animals, obviously. And Mm -hmm. it's a great opportunity to be able to use your skills to help animals and also to help people as you're helping animals. Um, I'm a psychologist by training. And I've done a variety of things in my life. I've had a private practice for a number of years. I did research. I taught. And about 20 years ago, I became, um, I transitioned from having a small private practice to uh, working in the animal protection movement. And I joined Animal Welfare Institute about, mm, time flies, about 10 or 11 years ago. And, uh, the. And what I do, and I I think I can contribute is to bring my skills and training as a psychologist to the problems of animals and family violence, which is the program that I'm uh, in charge of.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for all the good work that you do. I can say as a survivor, uh, we, we so appreciate it. Okay, Valerie, how about you? What brought you to the Animal Welfare Institute?
2: Yeah, I mean, on the same vein as Mary Lou said, definitely my passion for animals and helping animals, Um, like all of my colleagues. I think that's why we all work in the animal welfare world, just because we love animals and we love to protect them. But um, kind of in high school, I was like a huge fan of documentaries. And when I stumbled across some of the popular animal welfare films like Blackfish and Cowspiracy, I just thought like there has to be something more I can do. There has to be a way I can dedicate my career to this because I just felt so passionate and so strongly about these topics. So when it came time to look at college programs, I started looking at ones that were focused on nonprofits and communications and digital advocacy. So when I was a sophomore in college, I applied for a communications internship at AWI, kind of on a whim, kind of thinking I didn't have enough experience to get it. But luckily, I got an interview, and I remember after my first week, it just solidified for me that this is what I wanted to do with my career. And thankfully, they asked me to stay on board and keep working, and now I'm working on the Safe Havens Project, so I didn't have to leave, and here we are yes. today.
0: Oh, that's a wonderful story. From intern to employee. Go, Valerie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my first question is kind of a general one. What is the Animal Welfare Institute. Can you give us just a little bit inf- more information about the mission of the organization and, and what you do? Um, it's,
1: a, it's, it's simple and direct, and it, it's basically to reduce animal suffering that is caused by people. And that would include animals in the wild, animals in farming, animals in laboratories, companion animals, you know, animals in the home, um, and animals in commerce. Um, And so our programs are kind of focused on those areas. But as you know, animals are in actually every part of our lives. So um, it does look into all those different areas.
0: Oh, wow. That's really cool. I didn't know that it, it was so far reaching. Yes, that's great. And so tell me how safe havens for pets is associated with AWI. And can you give me an overall feel of what safe havens for pets is um, and and sort of the mission of that as well?
1: Sure. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I believe I'm in charge of what we call the animals and family violence program, where we're looking at Um, the intersection of animals and family violence and how we can learn more about it so we can intervene earlier to help both animals and families. And that's kind of the general um, uh, explanation. One thing that happened, which was very, I think in a way unusual, and it's a story that hasn't been told yet, but about maybe 20 years ago now, very organically, people in local communities who worked with domestic violence survivors noticed that women were not leaving or felt like they couldn't leave because they had pets that they didn't know how to protect and they didn't have a place for their pets. So these local communities started organizing what has been called safe havens for pets. Um, And basically what they were is some arrangement dependent on how the local community decided they wanted to do it Uh, But some arrangement where the pet was kept safe while, in most cases, a woman and maybe her children went somewhere uh, uh, to safety also. Now, sometimes they organize them around a woman might go into a shelter and the the pet uh, might go into foster care. Uh, Sometimes the local vet association, this has happened in Tampa, I know, Uh, And actually we did a survey and about 25% of the different safe havens had some kind of vet involvement where vets volunteered their space in their offices and also gave attention and medical care of the animal. Sometimes it was offsite kennel space that they negotiated with an animal shelter. And now um, this is not as frequent, but it's about twelve percent of all safe havens now, where they have co-housing. Oh, where the pets and the domestic violence survivors are share the same housing. Sometimes they literally share the same room or rooms, um, and other times they build kennel space at the shelter. So it's you know they're not exactly in the same room, but they're very close by, and they can have daily interaction. So, as we became we, we began to learn about the existence of these um safe havens, we also realized that there was no national directory that listed them uh so that you know finding one easily would have to be almost by word of mouth or because wherever you live somebody knew about it. So we set upon this project um, which I think we seemed to like to do where we take things and organize them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it took a number of years and identified every safe haven that we could find. And uh, now we've identified 1,200, which are in our directory. And if you have a, uh, if you yourself are looking for safety for your animal, you have a friend that is, or um, a colleague, you can simply go to our website and you can... type in your zip code or your state and any safe haven near you will pop up. And if it's a safe haven that where there is co-housing, there'll be a little icon. Um, and Valley, what does the icon look like? I always forget.
2: Um, it's a heart icon yeah. with like
1: our logo on it. <laughs> yeah, so that you, you can, anyway, so that's what we've done. And, and then of course the next job, which we have, help doing Annabelle, Curley is another young woman who's joined our team. Um, we have to re-verify the information continually because as you know, uh, databases can go, um, can become outdated. So we're uh, continually updating the information to make sure that it's, uh, it's correct.
0: I bet that's particularly challenging right now with COVID. That probably seems like there's, there might've been a lot of changes that you've had to track
1: you know what? We should have had Annabelle on the call because she's the one that's the expert on this. She's just gone through many, many different states and um, she was pretty persistent. But you're right. I think there were some times when they were hard to reach, uh, but she did it somehow.
0: Well, Annabelle will be on our next one.
1: <laughs> OK. That.
0: So Safe Havens for Pets sounds like an absolutely critical um, service that you're providing um, and for those people who haven't been survivors of domestic violence or don't know a lot of the statistics um, about domestic violence, why is Safe Havens such a necessary service for survivors of domestic violence?
1: I can speak to this too, and Valerie, mm-hmm. please chime in when you the spirit moves you, but sure. um <laughs> there is now abundant research that's been done um, that demonstrates and there was empirical evidence that domestic violence and pet abuse often occur in the same household. And that when people became aware of that, as I mentioned earlier too, they became aware that um, frequently a survivor hesitates to leave because she doesn't know how to keep her pet safe. So Uh, That's how safe havens came about and why they're important. Um, Now, as you know, there is a federal law that passed the PAWS Act. People and Animal Welfare, where the government is, the federal government now is giving grants to people who want to develop safe havens for pets of domestic violence victims.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yes, it is great. Um, And, there are six grants that were awarded last year, and um, I will be making a presentation to those grantees next month through the Department of Justice um, Office of Violence Against Women program.
0: That's really great. Valerie, is there anything that you kind of want to add there about, you know, what really, what were some statistics or some things that kind of came to light that made people kind of see, sit up and say, oh no, we got to do something about this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Some of the staggering statistics to me, because like I said, I kind of began in animal advocacy and now I'm moving towards domestic violence advocacy. So I didn't really know about any of these statistics until I started studying it more. And this one statistic, it's 85 percent of domestic violence shelters indicate that women coming to their facilities told of incidents of pet abuse. I mean, that is a crazy high number. And it just really shows that there is a correlation between a household experiencing both domestic violence and pet violence together. And another one is that um, studies found that 49 to 71% of women reported that their pets had been threatened, harmed, and were killed by their partners. Mm. So these statistics are obviously just indicating that we need resources for these individuals experiencing domestic violence to find a safe place for themselves and their pets. And there's so many cases where someone will be hesitant to leave a domestic violence situation because they're fearful of what will happen to my pet. Is my pet going to be okay if I go? Like, It's just crucial to have this resource. And I'm just so glad that I'm able to work on it because after learning these statistics, it's just so jarring and you realize there's such a need for it.
1: Yeah. and And their fear that something might happen to their their pet is well-placed. I mean, because uh, frequently the pets are harmed uh, or threatened. Um, So it's a a very legitimate concern
2: that has to be addressed. Yeah. And I think we all know like pets are a part of our family. Like they're just as much a member of the family as a sibling or like a roommate. Like they're just like a crucial part of your family and you don't want to leave them behind in an abusive situation.
1: They may be the favorite family (laughs) member. Seriously. Yeah.
0: For me, at least (laughs) that's, that's how it is for me too. My best friend tells me all the time that when she passes away, she wants to be reincarnated as one of my dogs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Our pets are spoiled. Like we treat them as if, you know, they're everything to us. So people don't want to leave them behind knowing that they're putting them in harm's way.
0: And that's a really hard thing probably for people to sort of grapple with. Thankfully, I didn't have that issue. When when I left my abuser, I could I took my dog Ozzy with me because um, I had a place to go um, where Ozzy was welcome. But that must be such a hard conflict to feel like if you leave your pet, somehow you are responsible for what happens to them. But if you are in danger, like you also have to save yourself,
1: right. Absolutely.
0: That must be really hard to grapple with. Well, it's so good that you guys are involved in this and just helping survivors and their pets. It's really crucial work. So Mary Lou, you said before um, that you have over 1,200 safe havens for pets in the U.S. And you kind of touched on um, some of the different types of organizations, Mm -hmm. vets, shelters. Um, so what are some of the main similarities and main differences um, in the different safe havens?
1: Well, I think the one uh, definite similarity is that the pets and the survivor will be kept safe. Um, and that's what's of paramount importance. Uh, actually, one of the things that we plan to do with our new social media um Platform. I'm not sure I'm using the right terminology is to spotlight various safe havens, just to let people get a closer look at who they are and what they're doing. Uh, recently, I talked to uh, the staff at a safe haven in Las Vegas, it's called safe nest. And they had just, they were so impressive. They have, um, a lot of different programs. First of all, they now have co-housing with the pets and the, and the women in the shelter. In addition to that, they have uh, people who will come to the shelter and offer dog obedience training classes.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's good for everybody too, because I know my dog would be a little unruly in a mixed environment. So <laughs> it's probably good to have people like that around. And um they just had a lot of innovative programs. That, uh, it was very that I was very impressed by. And then there are others, and so. And Valerie, do you know of any that you would highlight right now?
2: Um. Yeah, I was just going to say Safe Nest. I can't really think of but, one in particular, but we're always working to like contact them to find out more about what they're doing and highlight that on the social. media.
0: I also think it's great, Mary Lou, how you brought up before. Um, that some of these safe havens are actually vet offices um, so that yes. even if you can't you know be in the same building as your dog you know if it's at a vet's office it's going to yes. get all of the care it could possibly need.
1: Right we, we did a survey a number of years ago and of, you know we we don't have I think we do now but at the time I'm not sure we had email addresses of every every single safe haven and but we asked them a few questions and what we found from the survey was that 25% of the ones who responded to the survey said that their 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 uh, method was was using a vets office. Hmm. So vets are definitely stepping up also.
0: Oh, they're always the best people, aren't they? They take care of our pets in so many different yeah. ways. <laughs> so From what I'm kind of gathering, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was a time that there were all of these safe havens for pets all across the United States, now 1,200 of them. But there was no way for anyone to kind of see, okay, where is a safe haven that is around me? And so what you've done is created this really cool mapping project. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly that mapping project is?
1: Well, it is, um, well, in, in some ways it's kind of growing um, in what it is. Initially, it was just to get a initial grasp of identifying where these safe havens were so people could find them more easily. Uh, and now it's kind of enlarged so that, you know, for example, the National Domestic Violence Hotline carries a link to our safe havens website on their on their website Um, and as Valerie uh, and her team start expanding our social media presence, we're hoping that we can also aid in connecting safe havens to one another so that they uh, they know they can learn from one another and communicate with one another and share tips.
0: Oh, what a great idea
1: and maybe Valerie can talk about that a little bit more, but, yeah, and then the the spotlight will do the same thing, I think.
2: Yeah, what's great is that a lot of these um, safe haven shelters actually are active on social media and sometimes social media is their main kind of website and their main like source of information where they post things about their shelter and their services. So it's been really great to be able to connect with them on social media and kind of say, hi, like we're here now, we're on social media. We look forward to connecting with you and kind of collaborating with them and learning more from them because before, you know, they were just listed on our database, on our mapping project, but now we're actually in real time able to interact with these organizations and see exactly what they're doing. And that's been really, really cool and great to see.
0: What a fantastic thing, because before it was sort of like all of these 1,200 different places were kind of on islands, all separated from each other. And you guys have really made it like a community of where people can share best practices, help each other, you know, give each other vital information, like maybe about that Paul's Act (laughs) um, in order to really strengthen um, this critical service that they provide to survivors.
1: That's definitely, you know, what our goal is to mm-hmm. um, I, and I love the way you phrased it, to create a community and to set up a method um, where the community members can talk to one another. And, we, and where we can hear more about them. I mean, every time we hear about I have a encounter with the Safe Haven program and hear about them, you will always walk away inspired.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it is really great work. So if you could offer advice for someone who is considering leaving their abuser, but they don't want to leave their pet behind, how could safe havens for pets um, make that load a little lighter for that survivor?
2: I think it's all about access to a place where they know they can go and they can be safe. So. You know, I guess the first step would, of course, on like a safe browser to search safehavensforpets.org and insert their zip code and kind of solidify where their closest shelter is that they could take their pets with them or if they want to figure out if there's one that's close by that they could be housed with their pets or at least have their pets at a vet office or somewhere else that they know they're going to be safe and away from an abuser. I think that's definitely the first step. And then from there, kind of contacting them, reaching out to those facilities through our website, which we have the phone number and the contact info for each safe haven listed and kind of going from there and then just figuring out next steps on how they can get a spot in one of those places and seek safety for themselves and for their companion animals.
1: The other thing on the website, we also list um, advice on what documents you should have available and take with you to prove that you are the uh, owner of the pet you know, it might be vet records or, and to take, you know, obviously to take whatever equipment you can take th- uh, for the pet as well as yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe it would be a good idea to make sure that your name is listed definitely. on the vet bills or maybe not even bills, but on that record, Yes, you, would, you definitely need your name on that record.
1: Somehow. That Yes. In case there was a, you know, it was contested. Yes. And, 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 Abusers are always will be trying to control, so they might bring that up as a way to try to control the survivor. So yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So if if I needed to leave a situation and I wanted to bring my dog, I'm going to go on the Safe Havens Mapping Project. I'm going to be able to find somewhere that's close to me that kind of fits my preference. Do I want to be with my dog? Do I feel better if my dog, you know, is is out a vet? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I call the place to make sure maybe there's space for me and my pet or anything I'll need to bring with me. Is, is that the best next step?
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: Good. Okay. So um, just to switch gears a little bit, I am a person who on my restraining order, um, at that time I lived in a state where restraining orders did not actually protect my dog, Ozzie. Um, But because my abuser had threatened Ozzy's life, he was written in as like a possession that I could take with me um, on my restraining order. So can you provide a little bit of advice or guidance about, you know, on protection orders? How do we know? If our pet is, can be included, what do we do to make sure if they can't be included that they're included in another way? Or what what do we really have to do to make sure that our pets are on that protection order?
1: You bring up a good good point. And interestingly, this is timely because we just learned that yesterday, Missouri was the 36th state to pass a pet protection order uh, legislation.
0: Oh, yeah. If you're out there in Missouri, good job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what we also have on our website is we have manuals. Um, we haven't done every state. We've done about 12 now to tr- to guide the person through how you can do that. You know, the specific steps um, just to make them very, very clear. But usually in um, in the states that have these pet protection orders that have been passed when you file a complaint on the form there may be a place where you can include your pet they may have that on the form itself or there may be some way to add your pet like under you know other uh or in some and it sounds like you did some where did you put your pet's name in when you filled out your form
0: um to be honest, my form asked me if I had any children that I thought should be on the protective order, and I wrote just "Ozzy Combs," my last name, and then I put in parentheses "my dog." I, <laughs> well, I, I think no that's either.
1: or you're very or you're creative. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to have to use that example for future. Uh, discussions with people. Uh, and and then again, even if um, the state hasn't passed legislation, you can still do it. Uh, the legislation is passed more to kind of give judges permission and air quotes because they don't need the permission, but to kind of give them a little nudge in the right direction to realize that pets can be uh, placed under protection orders and that it's important to do so.
0: Yeah, um, when I was um, going through my protection order um, hearing, the judge asked me, you know, was there a reason, a specific reason, why I included Ozzy in that section? And I said, yes. He, you know, my abuser has threatened my dog, and I'm fearful to leave him behind or to not have him protected in case I'm not around. Because, and another thing that it protects you from is. I was afraid like if I took Ozzy to doggy daycare or something that he would be like swooped up from there. Yeah. Um, so I felt much better. And 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 as soon as I said, you know, that he had threatened Ozzy, the judge wrote Ozzy in on like the possessions thing that yes. could be protected. Uh-huh. So I was like, good enough. His name's on there. I, I'm good. <laughs> So I think that that's important though for listeners to know and to, to your point is there's a lot of ways to get your dog on that or cat or whatever animal. Or hamster.
1: Or, and yeah,
0: <laughs> fish, whatever. Um, on onto a protective order, just in case you don't live in Missouri or one of the other states that explicitly says your pet can be protected in an order. Right. That's good to know. All right, Valerie, can you please tell us about all of your new social media accounts and the new initiatives that you're launching uh, with those accounts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, the Safe Havens Mapping Project, the Safe Havens Directory, it's a standalone website from our main Animal Welfare Institute site. And um, we kept running into this issue that we have this fantastic resource that could help so many people, but we didn't have a great way to promote it besides occasionally on our AWI social pages. And it just kind of made sense. We were just kind of brainstorming, what should we do to get this out into the world and off just the singular website? And it was, we thought that starting our own social media would just be the perfect thing because we were advocating for companion animal welfare, but also for individuals experiencing domestic violence. And there were just two completely different audiences for both the AWI Instagram and social media and then the safe haven. So we thought an independent standalone account would work so much better. So we really wanted to start these social pages in order to connect more intimately with domestic violence organizations and also to reach a wider audience of people who may be in need of this research resource and weren't aware of it before. And it took a lot of planning and collaboration, but on April 11th on National Pet Day, we launched our social media pages and we've been so impressed so far with our following and the collaborations, just like this one. We were so happy to be on this show and talk more about safe havens in such a short amount of time. And some of the things you might see If you visit our social pages, like we were talking about before, the safe haven spotlights where we reach out to a shelter listed in our database that goes above and beyond for domestic violence survivors and their pets and are doing really exemplary and groundbreaking work. And we highlight exactly what they're doing and kind of bring these facilities to life. So they're not just sitting on the website. We kind of show people that these facilities are happening and they're a thing and that they're really accessible. Through our website and we also like to post some informative statistics about domestic violence but also about the correlations between pet violence and domestic violence to raise awareness on the correlation of this issue and we also try to share empowering messages and nuggets of positivity because as you know some of these domestic violence topics are very heavy it's hard to hear sometimes so we try to break that up on our page and share things that feel uplifting and positive and quotes that will empower survivors and also just anyone that views it Mm -hmm. And also just working on collaborating with these other relevant domestic violence organizations and also the safe havens themselves has been really, really fun. And we're working on more of those in the future. And kind of lastly, what we're doing is just promoting our page, safehavensforpets.org. Our main goal is to get people in need to use our website. And I always say, like, if just one individual who is in a domestic violence situation that feels they can't leave because they don't want to abandon their pet, if they're just scrolling through Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and stumble across one of our pages and then are able to use our database and find a safe haven near them and seek the help that they need, I will just feel so happy. And as though our social medias have really served the purpose that we have intended with creating them.
0: Oh, that's such a good message. And it's it's really true. You you guys are doing excellent work. And I'm so glad that you have this initiative to really highlight these critical organizations and the good work that they're doing because it sort of doesn't matter if they're doing it if people don't know that they can use them, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they're just doing all this great stuff, but people don't know about them. So great job in highlighting uh, this critical work that's being done.
1: I just want to commend Valerie and the whole social media team because I'm of a of a generation where I really don't know much about social media, except what I do know is that it's really a vital way to reach people. And, uh, and so thanks to them, we mm-hmm. do have this social media platform now, and I think an increasing presence, and I think we can, grow um the capacity of our safe havens mapping project to to help other um to help
2: others in the field. So and if you want to follow them, um, the handles on Instagram and Facebook are just safe haven for pets spelled out. And then on Twitter it's Safe Havens for the the, the number four <laughs> pets. <laughs>
0: Oh, perfect. So I will also link those in the show notes. So everybody can just click right there and um, follow you. So we're all going to follow, we're going to go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and we're going to follow all of your social media accounts, but how else can we help safe havens for pets and the critical work that you're doing? What can we do To amplify your message, or are there places we should be donating, or should we be calling our senators about something? (laughs) Um, What, what should, how can we help this this really important initiative?
1: That's a good question, and um, I one thought that just popped up in my mind was. You could look to see what safe havens for pets of domestic what safe havens are near you, and maybe just contact them to see if there's any assistance they need, or a donation, or you know, if you can make a cash donation or whatever they might need, blankets for the dogs, um, just to get involved that way would be great. And they they'll be your neighbors.
0: And it's always good to help your neighbor. Yes. Valerie, are there any other ways that we could, you know, be helping your your mission?
2: Yeah, I mean, something else I wanted to highlight that if you go to safehavenforpets.org and you put in your zip code and you notice that there's no safe havens really within, you know, a certain distance from your area and you feel that there's something lacking there, there are ways to start your own community safe haven. And we have materials on our website under um, the resources tab that gives a lot of information and um, kind of a guide to starting your own community safe haven if that's something you'd be interested in, if this is an issue that you're really passionate about and you think you have the capacity to help people with.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So anybody that's listening, if you have a passion for animals and a passion for helping survivors of domestic violence, this is perfect for you. Definitely. Yeah. And send Mary Lou and Valerie your resume so you can work for (laughs) St. David's for Pets. (laughs) So as we finish up here, is there anything else that you would just, you know, like to, to tell us more information that you would... Like to give us maybe an inspirational message. What do you want the listeners to know about safe havens for pets?
1: I well, I think the the one I think what safe havens for pets exemplifies in a way is that the human-animal bond and how our lives with animals are interconnected. And that it's not a question of do we help protect animals or do we help protect people that when we we the best way is to protect both of them because our lives are so uh intertwined mm-hmm.
0: that's a very good point Valerie do you have anything that you'd like to impart upon us
2: well, I don't know I, mean, I think Mary Lou <laughs> kind of covered it yeah we just it's just safe havens for pets it's a wonderful resource and I'm so glad it's out there. And I'm so grateful to be working on this team to amplify our message and amplify our resources and our database. And I just hope that anyone in need of this resource will use it and hopefully escape a situation that's abusive and do what's best for themselves and their pets whenever they're ready.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you as a survivor of domestic violence and a person who treats a dog, like it's a child. <laughs> um the the work that sh- that you two are doing and what safe havens for pets is doing is absolutely critical. And you are saving so many lives, both human and animal. And you really I, I, I can't give you enough kudos and compliments for what you're doing. you're 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 changing the lives of people and animals who who are sometimes at their lowest and and need to help the most. So, Thank you so much for everything thank that you're you. doing.
1: Well, thank you for um, talking to us about it.
0: Of course. So I'll put the links to um, all of your social on my show notes and on my social media. And anytime you want to come back and, and tell us anything else about Safe Havens for Pets or want to bring Annabelle along, you just just let me know.
1: Okay. <laughs> thank Absolutely. bye
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Valerie Pena and Mary Lou Randor for coming on the show today to tell us all about Safe Havens for Pets. Please remember to um, like and follow all of their social media accounts, on which you can find at Safe Havens for Pets, sometimes with the letter four in there. Um, but I'll have a link to that in all of the show notes and on my social media uh, so it's easy to find. If you were in an unhealthy unsafe, or abusive relationship, there is help available. Please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE.